Good day, everybody. Welcome back to What's True for Everybody. This is Experience 24 and Summer Camp Part 5, and we're calling this one Revealing Beauty. Revealing Beauty. Uh, Now, we know that we're supposed to love people. We're supposed to love everybody, even people who are different from us. We get that. The question then becomes how? What do we do? Uh, When's the last time you've been to a wedding? Weddings are one of my favorite things. And for a couple couple reasons. Uh, I love officiating weddings. There's, There's almost nothing better. That and baptizing people. Those are like the two things. Here's one of the reasons why I love weddings. When you know the plant, when you're kind of like on the ground floor of the thing and you get a front row seat to it, you know how things are on paper supposed to work. Here's the thing about a wedding. Something will always go wrong (laughs) at a wedding. There are so many details. There's... Uh, they've the the couple's been planning this for months. The bride perhaps has been planning this day since she was like five years old. Something is going to happen that wasn't supposed to happen. Someone will will walk before they're supposed to walk. There will be a belligerent, f- distant family member who sh- shows up or is at the reception. Uh, something will tear or rip the, the, the thing that the wedding party is supposed to walk on down the aisle will come up and people start kicking it. Um, I forget what that thing's called, but I actually think this happened at my, the runner. Is it called a runner? I think that happened at, my, at our wedding, actually. Something will always go wrong. I was officiating a wedding last spring. It was the spring of 2018 up at Horse, Horsetooth Mountain. Uh, beautiful place to have a wedding. The problem was there was a 100% chance of storms all day long. And it, man, the the weather people got this one right. It was pouring all afternoon. So there was this like canopy that you could go under to get married. It was small and and the rain was, was coming in sideways. And so half of the ground underneath the canopy was getting wet anyway. And so uh, the bride, uh, fantastic couple, the bride... Uh, probably less than a hundred pounds. She was wearing a, a sleeveless wedding dress and it was cold. People have like winter jackets on. And, uh, she came up to me in her coat and she said, I still want to get married outside. I said, all right, by the way, rule number one at a wedding, whatever the bride says goes. (laughs) So we had the ceremony outside. It wasn't a long ceremony. I quickly started thinking about what needs to be cut out of this. Um, but there is this picture that somebody took from this wedding, uh, and the, the the groomsmen have short shorts on and flip flops and uh, sh- short sleeve button up shirts, and so does the groom. The bride, as I said, has this s- sleeveless dress on, and she's freezing. And the bridesmaids have these stra- uh, sleeveless dresses on, and they're wearing sandals, and they all are holding different colored uh, umbrellas, and they're all in this picture, just laughing and having a ball. Uh, this wasn't the way <laughs> that it was planned. Yet here's the thing about these moments at a wedding. They're often the greatest memories. They're often the things that the bride and groom, the stories they'll tell a year later, five years later, 15 years later. Uh, you, you just can't predict those things. So that's the reason number one. It has nothing to do with, with what we're talking about the rest of the time here. But here's the second reason why I love weddings. There is this moment where the couple makes vows to one another promises. We can call them commitments. We can call them 
affirmations. They promise each other how they're going to love one another, how they're going to treat one another, how they'll be faithful to one another, how they'll be patient with one another for the rest of their lives, as long as they both shall live. Uh, and then it's time to keep those promises. Um, Ten Commandments. A lot of times we think of the Ten Commandments in the Bible as God saying, you better do this or else. The Bible actually never calls them commandments. They call, the Bible calls them ten words. And the first recipients of these ten words, honor your mother and father, you shall not murder, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not covet other, your neighbor's stuff. The first recipients of these, they actually saw them like wedding vows. They saw them, see what wedding vows are, it's if we're going to have the best possible relationship, this, this is how we need to treat one another. This is what the ten words, the ten commandments were seen as, like, if we want to have, it's God saying, if you want to have the best relationship with me, there's some things, I'll take care of some things, I'll be your God, but I need you to take care of some things. I need you, you shall not have any other gods, that's not going to work. Uh, and so for these recipients and hearers, oh, okay, um, honoring my father and mother actually helps me have a better relationship with God, with them, because that matters too, and with God. Oh, I should not murder people because murdering my neighbor tends to put a damper on my relationship with them and on my relationship with God. So that's what we're talking about. Uh, vows, uh, commitments, we'll call them today, we'll call them affirmations. And uh, Anne Lamott, this Christian author and, and thinker, when it comes to loving people, she has, this, she has a great line. She says, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. <laughs> Yeah, other other people who like you think you're given a free pass to not show love to because, uh, in your opinion, God hates them. And as it turns out, <laughs> coincidentally enough, they're the same people you hate. Does this happen to you? Do you notice that God tends to not like in your world the same people you don't like? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at the story of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. So last story uh, Matthew tells in his gospel, and then. Uh, we're going to look at talk about five affirmations that we can make to help ourselves love others. So here we go. Great commission. Uh, Jesus says this to his disciples. The last thing he says to him in the Gospel of Matthew: All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, here's what's going on. The resurrected Jesus is meeting with his disciples before he ascends to the right hand of his father, and then he'll send them the Holy Spirit at the beginning, beginning of the book of Acts. Um, and so he has a couple things to say to them. In, this, in these three verses, it begins with, okay, all authority has been given to me. By God. I, I have all power authority. And he ends with, uh, I am with you always. I will always be with you to the very end of the age. So I have all authority and I will always be with you. And then in the middle is this call to his disciples to make disciples. Disciples, as we said last time, simply means students, learners. Um, and we all, don't we all want to be students and learners? How boring would life be if we stopped <laughs> learning? Uh, so it's this call to make disciples. And notice the use of the word all 
in this passage. Jesus uses the word all four times in these three verses. So verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. How many nations? Yeah, not just the ones you like, all nations. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything, the the actual Greek word is all that, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Not just a couple things I've commanded, but all that I have commanded. And then again, verse 20, the last thing he says, and surely I will be with you always. Literally, the, the translation is all the days. And surely I will be with you all the days to the very end of the age. All, 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 all. Do you get the feeling that this says like a massive, <laughs> this, this message has a massive wingspan. This is for everybody. Jesus saying, okay, thing about me is I have all supremacy. <laughs> I am the Messiah. I'm the one everyone's been waiting for. I, I, that's me. Um, and then he says, and I, I, I have some work for you to do. I need you to go reproduce yourselves. Not like biologically. What, Jesus? What are you talking about? No, no. I need you to go create more students, more learn. Go. Go to them, he says. Love them. Serve them. Uh, baptize them, he says. Immerse them into the church. Immerse them in, into what it means to be in, in my kingdom. And teach, he says. Show them the way that I've taught you all to live. Go. Baptize. Teach. Yeah, this message is for everybody, Jesus says. Frederick Buchner, Christian author, he says this. He says, compassion or love, we'll call it. Love is the sometimes fatal capacity for feeling what it's like to live inside somebody else's skin. It's the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. Wow, what a quote. Yeah, love is the, it's, it's the ability to feel what it's like to be somebody else. And it's the knowledge that, that there actually can't really be peace and joy for me until there's peace and joy for you, until I can do everything I can. Peace and joy for them. That's what we're talking about. So here we go. A lot of times uh, we think we need these grand ideas if we're going to love people well, if we're going to ha- help them receive peace and joy as well. Um, but I'm going to give us five affirmations we can make, um, simple ones. And if we start here, if we can like master these five things, we won't, we won't be able to help but to love others, to serve others. Um, so here we go. Affirmation number one, I will love myself unconditionally. You can say that if you want to. I will love myself unconditionally. The beginning of the Gospels, Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, or as we know now, his name is J, J the B. That's what we like to call him. And in the Jordan River. And as Jesus is coming out of the water, we're told, the heavens open and the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove, which is to say gracefully and beautifully. And then there's a voice from heaven, which is the voice of God. And everyone hears this voice say, uh, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Yeah, do you, ever, do you ever get the sense God is saying that to you? You are my son or you are my daughter who I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, the question becomes, why is God well pleased with Jesus? <laughs> because uh, the fact is, he hasn't really done anything yet. <laughs> He's given no sermons. 
there's been zero miracles. He hasn't healed anyone. No one's really following him yet. What is, why is it that God is well pleased with, it certainly isn't because of what Jesus has earned. Uh, Here's why God is well pleased with Jesus. Simply because of who Jesus is. Simply because God created Jesus. That's why God is well pleased with Jesus. This is why God is well pleased with you. Not because of what you've done or what you will do. Simply because of who you are. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased with me. Which means we don't need the approval of others to love ourselves unconditionally. This isn't... Uh, your worth has already been decided. (laughs) You don't have to earn it. What you do from here on out, it can't do anything to change your worth to God. This is my son. This is my daughter whom I love. With him or with her, I am well pleased. This means we don't need others' approval to love ourselves unconditionally. We already have whatever it is we need to be able to do that. Um, which means we will take care of our, our, our soul and our heart. We will invest in relationships. We will sit in silence from time to time. We will practice gratitude. We will love. We will read the scriptures, hopefully pray. We will take care of our bodies. We'll eat well. We'll exercise. We'll get enough sleep. We'll do all these things that it takes to love ourselves unconditionally. You know that announcement on the airplane before you take off where the flight attendant or the video, whatever it happens to be, talks about how if the cabin loses air pressure and those masks fall down and you have a child sitting next to you or someone who's not capable of putting their own mask on, whose mask do they tell you to put on first, yours or theirs? Yours. Why? Here's why. Because if you're not taken care of, then how in the world can you fully take care of somebody else? If you're not taken care of, how in the world can you make sure somebody else is okay? No, no. You have to make sure that you're okay first. You have to love yourself unconditionally first. I was on a flight, um, I think from Houston, from Houston to California, I was going to some conference and we had a layover, uh, in Las Vegas and by layover, it was one of those situations where uh, I didn't have to get off. It was the same plane that was taking, took me from Houston to Vegas and will take us from Vegas to California. So people get off. I still stay in my seat. And then new people come on. There was this woman in her young 20s who came on uh, to fly from Vegas to, to California. And she, I was on the aisle seat. She was, she sat in the middle and she was, <laughs> She had a weekend in Vegas. I'm telling you. And she told me that that uh, her friends and her actually drove from, I think she was in San Francisco, to Vegas. And uh, she had such a rough, <laughs> rough time that she couldn't handle the drive back. And so she had to, at the last minute, hop on a plane while her friends started to drive back. Anyway, she was a nice, nice young lady. We started talking. And then uh, after a little while, an airline employee bought this, brought this girl on, I don't know, probably nine years old. And she sat in the window seat. So it was me on the, in the aisle, this woman in her young twenties in the middle, and then this nine or so year old girl, eight year old girl, whatever she was in the window seat. So the flight attendant comes up to me and, and the young twenties girl and says, okay, if the cabin loses air pressure and the masks fall down, make sure you put on your masks before you help her. And, uh, the, <laughs> the girl next to me said, no way. 
No, I'm putting hers on first. Why would I put mine on first? Because that's, it's counterintuitive, right? Like, no, I have to serve her. I have to love her. I have to put her mask on first. Why would I take care of myself first? And um, that comes from like a, a place of, I want to help people. That, that, that's our gut reaction. Uh, but the truth is, no, 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 we have to, we have to put on our, we have to make sure we're okay first if we're going to help this girl, uh, which can seem a bit like it goes against the gospel message. Like it's selfish. Like, wait, aren't we supposed to serve and not be served? If, if we want to be first, aren't we supposed to be last? So it kind of goes against, doesn't it go against the gospel message? Um, actually, no, it doesn't. Here's why. Taking care of yourself, loving yourself unconditionally is the best way to make sure that you are serving others well. Others will benefit if you are loving yourself. Parker Palmer in his great book, Let Your Life Speak, he says this. He says, self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others. Anytime we can listen to true self and give the care it requires, we do it not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. Yeah, I will love myself unconditionally. That will help lead to peace and joy for them. Second affirmation. I will say yes as often as possible. You can, you can say that if you want to. I will say yes as often as possible. There's a great story in the scriptures, in the gospels, where Jesus uh, is approached by this religious leader. And he's like, uh, my daughter just died. <laughs> my daughter died. But if you come and touch her, she'll be raised back to life. This guy shows like incredible faith. And so this is a matter of life and death. So Jesus starts following this religious leader to his home where his daughter is laying dead. And on the way, they're walking through a crowd of people and, and this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, by the way, the girl's 12 years old, who's dead, bleeding for 12, I think, I think, I think that's true. I guess I don't, I forget now. <laughs> anyway, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and, and she's gone to the doctors and they haven't been able to help her. She thinks if I just touch Jesus cloak, I will be healed. Good thinking on her part. So she does touch Jesus' cloak, and Jesus stops. Like the religious leader keeps walking, and Jesus just stops. He's like, who touched me? Who touched me? His disciples are like, uh, everybody. There's a ton of people around here touching you. And God's like, no, no, no. There's like some power that came out from me. And this woman comes up to Jesus and, and acknowledges it was her. And Jesus has this like <laughs> seemingly leisurely conversation with this woman about her faith and her sickness. Um, and he just stops and talks to this woman. Now, if you are the dad who's dealing with death and your daughter's just died, what are you thinking? Like, Jesus, who cares who touched you? Who cares? She's been bleeding for 12 years. My, she, 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 come heal my daughter. Come back. She'll, she'll be here 30 minutes from now. She can handle it another half hour. Uh, this is life and death. But Jesus finishes his conversation. And then after the leisurely conversation, he then follows the guy to his daughter where he raises her from the dead. Here's the point. Do you ever, do you notice that Jesus never seems to be in a hurry? That Jesus almost always says yes to people. Do you notice that uh, a lot of what Jesus does, his ministry, if we can call it, happens in the interruptions and things that weren't planned and things that weren't on today's schedule? Which means, uh, to say yes as often as possible, we will, we will welcome the interruptions. We will be flexible. 
We will practice patience. Do you live in no world <laughs> where you just tend to say no to things because it doesn't fit? Uh, I, I used to live in no world quite a bit. And, and the problem with no world is no world very quickly becomes all about you. And it's in the name of like productivity and getting things done and having a schedule. And I'm all for schedules and planning and that's good. Uh, but with, uh, with the realization that there's got to be some flexibility because it's easy to, to make some plans and then anything that doesn't fit in those plans or anything that kind of pops up becomes a no, which means oftentimes we're saying no to people's needs. So I have this schedule for the day, I have this plan, and then someone calls and says, oh, uh, this happened, I need some help. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, that's no world. But then there's yes world. Yes world is a much more fun way to live. Corey and I talk about trying to be yes parents saying yes as often as possible to our kids. If they're healthy yeses, by the way. Yes world is good if they're healthy yeses. There's a great book called Yes Man that uh, I read, I don't know, I, I read it on my honeymoon 12 years ago. And Danny Wallace, this guy from the UK, uh, would always say no to his friends and they just got sick of it. And so they somehow convinced him to say yes to everything for like six or nine months um, everything, every invitation, every email, every garbage, like mailing. So he got his nurse's degree. He did all, he traveled, he did all sorts of stuff. Some of them weren't healthy yeses. So let's not do that. Um, but his life just totally, <laughs> totally opened up when he entered yes world. If you want to read that book, it's hilarious. Yes. Yes, man. But anyway, uh, yes world is a much more fun way to live. So your, your friend calls, you're sitting on the couch and your friend says, you want to hang out, go out to dinner. Is it a healthy? Yes. Then go. Uh, you have this opportunity to serve food to people who, who need food, who don't have food. Is that a healthy? Yes. Do it. You have this chance to tell somebody what Jesus has done in your life. This door opens up for you. Is it a healthy? Yes. Do it. We will say yes as often as possible. That, that actually will help serve others. That will lead to peace and joy for them. Third affirmation. I will be guided by love instead of fear. You can say this if you want. I will be guided by love instead of fear. There's a point in the Gospel of John where it's the night before Jesus is killed and he's with his disciples, having some final conversation with them, giving them some final words and instructions. And at one point he says this, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Uh, to not fear is the most repeated command in the Bible. Why? As, as followers of Jesus as, as residents of the kingdom of God. We're not supposed to be guided by fear. We're supposed to be guided by something else. So earlier in that conversation with his disciples, it's a chapter earlier in John, Jesus says this, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my, dis my disciples. If you love one another, <laughs> Do you think Jesus was trying to get something across there? Yeah, love. You're not supposed to be guided by fear. You, you as followers of me, are to be guided by love. I was, as I was kind of putting this teaching together, I was driving and 
at a stoplight and I saw this car kind of pulled up and they had a bumper sticker that's love is greater than fear. Love greater sign fear. And I thought, yeah, this person gets it. This person gets it. But then I looked at the other side of their bumper and they had another bumper sticker that said, come to the dark side. We have cookies. (laughs) Then I thought, oh, maybe this person doesn't get it. (laughs) But we'll go with the love is greater than fear. They're onto something with that. We're not to be guided by fear. We are to be guided by love, which means when we're guided by love, it will do something to us. Uh, We will go places that we never planned on going physically, emotionally, relationally. We will serve people in ways that we never thought we would serve people. We will get out of, of our comfort zone in a very, very good way. Yeah, being guided by love, it will do something to us. It will expand us and our world. Uh, so examples, to be guided by fear is to say, I'm not going to go for that job promotion, even though I really want it, because I'm, I'm, what if I don't get it? Then what will people think of me? To be guided by fear is this person needs help and I see it, um, but I'm not going to help them or serve them because I don't know what they will think about what these other people will think about me doing that. So I'm just going to kind of pretend I don't see that need to be guided by fear is this particular family member. When they say this thing to me or when they make this joke, uh, it actually makes me feel terrible. (laughs) And maybe they're, I think they're joking, but I'm not sure if they're joking and I'm not going to say anything to them about it because what if they actually do it more because they know it bothers me. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Now here's, here's being guided by love. I I will go for this promotion because I, I want it. I think I would be good at it. Um, I would love this position. And if I don't get it, okay, at least I tried to be guided by love is I am going to help this person or serve this person because God opened my eyes to this need and we're called to, to help people when we see this need and and if someone else doesn't like it, well, too bad. That's their problem to be guided by love is, uh, I am going to tell this family member how, what they say makes me feel because, um, I am called to, to speak truth and to be honest and I'm going to do it in a loving way as much as I can. Uh, and I can't control how they're going to react, but I believe that this is ultimately, this conversation will ultimately be beneficial for me and for them because I need to be honest about what I'm feeling. Yeah, we will be guided by love instead of fear. We will be guided by love instead of fear. That will lead to peace and joy for them. And then fourth, fourth affirmation, I will speak only when I can improve upon the silence. You can say this one, I will speak only when I can improve upon the silence. You ever notice in the scriptures uh, how often the writers talk about what we say, the tongue? For example, Psalm 141, set a guard over my mouth, Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. Proverbs 15, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Man, the tongue has the power of life and death. Yeah, but those are like Old Testament scriptures, right? And so uh, we don't have to take that very seriously. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus, Matthew 12. 
But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. Wow. Jesus is saying, this is serious. What we say actually matters. Then Luke chapter six, Jesus says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Then Paul in Ephesians chapter four, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their deeds, that it may benefit those who listen. We will speak only when we can improve upon the silence. Sometimes silence is just better. (laughs) And what we say actually ruins it. (laughs) Let it be silent, which means it is unproductive and unhelpful to speak against somebody else or against ourselves. Whether it's uh, face-to-face, like you tell them off in a, in a nasty, <laughs> nasty way, uh, or you do it behind their back, like you tell them off to somebody else, which doesn't even make any sense because they're not even there. Uh, that's also gossip, by the way. Or uh, on social media, like you type them off <laughs> on Twitter, on Facebook, um, which then you're just inviting the rest of the world to watch kind of your, your dirty laundry, which none of that is helpful. None of that leads to anything good. It is unproductive. It is unhelpful to speak against other people. That's different than being honest with someone when you need to be honest with someone about what they've done and what they're up to. Um, now, your tongue, your words are the greatest weapon you can use against somebody. It's also, your words are also the greatest gift you can give to somebody. They have the power, we're told, of life and death. Uh, your words can, can actually define people in their minds for a while. I remember my freshman year of high school, my math teacher told me I wasn't going to make the basketball team because I was too small. <laughs> he, was, he, he was wrong, by the way. But it was almost as if those words defined me for a while. Oh, man, I guess he's right. He's, he's seen some things. He knows that I'm not going to make it. Uh, I also remember when I worked at a bank out of college, uh, uh, one of my customers named one of our uh, people who banked with us, his name was Bill Bird. He was fantastic. He told me, you know, I think you're going to be a pastor one day. <laughs> he was right. But it's almost as like those words defined me for a while. What do you remember people saying to you, whether it tore you down or it built you up? And I was like, oh man, that def- that's, fi- that's going to define me for a while, at least in my head. The words have the power of life and death. So the next time you want to tell that person off to their face, and by the way, is there anything worse than watching someone's eyes and face droop down and get sad because of the words we've just spoken to them? Instead, give them a compliment or keep your mouth shut, <laughs> walk away. Or the next time you want to talk to somebody else about that person, you you want to tell them off to somebody else. By the way, is there anything more lame (laughs) than not even confronting the person that you need to confront, but talking to somebody else about it? Um, Either speak well of that person or just don't say anything. Uh, The next time you want to respond to that email, the next time you want to respond to that, that Facebook post, by the way, it's, uh, it's now proven that the more we look at social media, 
the, the worse we think about ourselves, <laughs> the more sad we get, which means the more likely we are to say something negative to, about somebody. Next time you want to respond to that post, uh, type something nice or just sh- turn off your phone, shut the computer, whatever it is, and go do something else. Yeah, we will speak only when we can improve upon the silence. Your words are your greatest, the greatest weapon you can use against someone or the greatest gift you can give someone. Okay, one more. Affirmation number five. I will give everywhere I go. You can say this one. I will give everywhere I go. It's a passage in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus is about to send out his disciples to spread the news that the kingdom of God is here now uh, to spread this message to, to everybody. And he says this to his disciples. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. I love that line, freely you have received, freely give. Here's an observation about this command from Jesus. Uh, This has really nothing to do with money. (laughs) I mean, it only has to do with money because it has to do with everything. What Jesus is saying here is, uh, everyone you come into contact with, you you are to freely give, however you can. However you can, we will give everywhere you go, everywhere we go. Which means uh, we will give whatever we have to give, whether it's a smile, or a compliment, or a second chance, or forgiveness, or our full attention. We can give our full attention or uh, hand-me-down clothes, or maybe it's money in some instances. Maybe it's financially giving. Whatever it is, we will give wherever we go. We will give whatever it is we have to give. Our best efforts at school, at home, in our relationships. Here's what I can guarantee you. I guarantee you the most inspiring people to you, the people you most want to be like, are people who know how to give. And they know how to give whatever is to be given in that time. Uh, There are also people, I I guarantee you, who know how to receive. Freely you have received, freely give. There's this endless cycle of giving and receiving that we're taught about in the scriptures. Uh, Do you know people who, like if you give them a gift, then they immediately have to start thinking about how they're going to pay you back. (laughs) No, I actually did this because I just wanted to be nice and because... um, I thought it might help you. And then they immediately, like, the scorecard is, oh, you won them zero, and they have to figure out how to pay you back, whether they do it with you knowing it or without, <laughs> without you knowing it. No, no, no. The most inspiring people we know are people who know how to give, and they're people who know how to receive. We will give everywhere we go. So to wrap it up, we, I will love myself unconditionally. I will say yes as often as possible. I will be guided by love instead of fear. I will speak only when I can improve upon the silence and I will give wherever I go. Which one or two or three of these kind of jump out at you and man, I need to, I need to focus on this one or these two like this one. Okay. I think that's helping me give peace and joy to others, but this one or two, uh, man, I need to, I need to think about that more. Which one, what is it that you can focus on now? What is it we're actually doing when we're loving others? What's happening? There was a Canadian theologian named Jean Vanier who actually passed away last last month or this month, like a month ago. 
Uh, but he has this great line. He says, love is to reveal the beauty of another person to themselves. Oh, I love it. Love is to reveal the beauty of another person to themselves. That's what we're doing when we're loving people. When everyone we come into contact with, we're actually revealing their own beauty to themselves. Who is it that you know, or maybe you don't know them, that they need you to reveal their beauty to them because they don't see it right now. And you can do that through loving them by the words becoming flesh. Who is it that needs a little peace and joy? Because we, we can't truly have the peace and joy until they have the peace and joy too. See, this world is a much more beautiful place when I'm revealing your beauty to you and you're revealing my beauty to me. So let's go and do more of that. Grace and peace. Much love. We'll talk to you next time.